This show is distributed by SoundCloud. Welcome. Welcome to episode 198 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. Well, Jason, how are you doing today? Doing well. It's been a productive day so far. Awesome. I got out of the gate like at 8.30. So this is for listeners who don't know what day it is that we're recording this. It was uh, Sunday afternoon. So this morning, I woke up, I, you know, typically at a typical time at like 7.30. Mm-hmm. You know, cause kids, our kids wake up at six 30. So seven 30 is kind of sleeping in, <laughs> but, uh, I was actually sitting down and working at eight 30 on a Sunday, on a Sunday morning. I, I got four hours of work done without interruption on any foo. No, ah. <laughs> no consulting work. But I mean, I, you know, I was actually going to push it off to later in the day, but I was like, you know, I think I'm actually going to get this done early. So this doesn't hang over my head so that if, I go swimming with the kids or we go to the park. I don't have to feel like, oh, I got to get home at some time and, and, and do this work or, you know, come in right before dinner. And like while Sandy's getting dinner for the kids, I got to like sort of disappear for two hours and work. Yeah. So that was awesome, actually, because oh, cool. actually I thought the work was going to take me a half hour and it took me four. <laughs> so uh, Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, this, it, like you say, it's great to get it out of the way. And if you're earning, I mean, four hours is good, too. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. Um Speaking of uh, speaking of earning, I've um, I've just uh, I, you, you know I mentioned last week on the show or maybe it was two weeks ago on the show about how um, we were in the process of selling the Prezo code base. Yeah, yeah. So that that transaction has been completed, um, and the you know we're I think the investment of it was a lot more than what we sold it to <laughs> sold it for, obviously. Um, so we're we're talking like. Uh, 10 cents on the dollar, but the code has been sitting sort of dead for like four years. So getting anything out of it at this point is sort of gravy yeah. um, or found money, I guess you might say. Um, and what's interesting about it is that, the, you know, the amount that I'll get out of it, which is, uh, you know, because I'm, I'm getting reimbursed for some expenses that I've had to pay out of pocket the last couple of years, keeping the, uh, the LLC alive, yeah. you know, because you have to pay for LLC fees and the, the counting fees and everything. Um, so I'll get a little less than 10000 Yeah. And, you know, which is, you know, that's a substantial amount. And the, and I, as I've talked about on the show before, um, we had uh, dug kind of a debt hole for ourselves back in when, the, cra- when the, uh, the real estate market crashed. So anyway, um, we've been digging ourselves out of this debt hole for the past four years. Yeah, because you got, what was it, a new floor or, or ceiling or something put in? Cost you like 60 grand or something like that? Yeah, so the story was that um, when we tried to sell our place back in, I think it was the, uh, the fall, fall of, um, our early part of 2008, um, you know, there was just, the market just kind of dried up. Yeah. Whereas there was no activity. Um, and, uh, you know, with the, the other thing that we kind of, could tell by the way people who would walk through a place would react was that you know if you're going to buy a half million dollar condo in Pasadena you're you're going to be expecting it to be upgraded yeah right you know new kitchen new bathrooms I mean and our place was a a apartment converted into a condo 
Right. And right. so we're like, you know, if, we were, if we're ever going to sell this thing, I mean, we're going to have to get this thing in shape. And so, so, so when you say a, apartment converted into a condo, that means, does that mean now that I've got, I understand this new tech, this new terminology correctly, that means apartments is like when it's a block of flats all rented out and a condo is when it's a block of flats owned. That's right. Uh, okay. Right, right, right. Unit is owned. Um, okay opposed to the entire building owned by a company that rents it out to people. So okay. we, we, had, we had rented for a year or two, and then we bought it when they were converted in like 2002, I think. Hmm. And uh, so anyway, we were, we were supposed to, um, the, the, the cost of renovation when we decided to renovate was estimated to be about 25, maybe 30,000. Yeah, I remember so, this story. A lot, but it turned out to be all, when it was all said and done, almost 70,000. Wow. Okay. And was that, what did it just keep? I mean, how, how was it just feature creep? <laughs> what was it? I don't know what it was. It's just, it's just, it just, I don't know. It just, just like everything's more expensive than you think. It's like software, I guess. Maybe not, not yeah. as software, but um, I'm sure anybody who's renovated a house or anything probably has a similar experience that it's just, uh, you know, the contractors come and say, oh, this will cost you, your kitchen will cost you seven grand. And it turns out costing like 15 and whatever. And uh, I don't know. It just it, it just got out of hand, and it wasn't like we were adding to it. It was just things just were trying to be more expensive. And so on top of the fact that we ended up not being able to sell our place, we had almost $70,000 of additional debt. Yeah. And this is right when um, Prezo pretty much died, and I had to start um, consulting with no client base. <laughs> yeah. This perfect. Is, yeah, perfect. Awesome. Just what everyone wants to do. Exactly. Right. <laughs> just right at the beginning of 2009. And so we've been digging ourselves out of that debt hole ever since. And now we're down to the final, just about 20,000. And right. so I'm thinking this big, this 10,000 coming in from the Prezo sale is going to get me in the ballpark. Like all of a sudden you're getting down almost to underneath under 10,000. Yeah. And then it's like, what's funny is that when you see the end in sight, you get really motivated. You can run a bit faster. Yeah, I, I imagine it's kind of like when you're running a, you know, a, a, a marathon or a, long, or a race and you get to that last mile or two, you, you kind of get that second win. You're like, oh, I'm going to, you just want to finish strong. But if you, if you try and start sprinting like 16 miles in, we still have 10 miles left or whatever, you're going to be like, you just gonna be, can't do it, right? So that's why you're up at 8 to 8.30 working on a Sunday morning. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm just, I'm extra motivated just because I want to get, I want to get completely out of debt. And uh, I feel like it's I feel like it's something we can do very soon. And not only that, I want to get completely out of debt, and then I want to build our cash base up so that you have like your six months of living expenses. Yeah. Cash. So, so if anything, so worst case scenario, you're you're going to be fine for six months. Yeah, I mean, I think the 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 minimum that you should have is three months. I think is just is just a rule of thumb. But when you, when you have kids and stuff, you probably want to be a little more. Uh, a little more uh, just conservative about that. Maybe have six months, and yeah. we won't be there. But I'm shooting for the end of the year to be debt free with three months. And so now I'm getting kind of a, I'm getting excited about getting there. Oh, good luck, man! I really wish you good luck on that. I'm I'm pretty sure you're going to do it. Whew, I tell you what. I mean, a couple lessons I learned. Well, first, I'm never ever going in debt like that again. <laughs> well, that's good. That's that's a lot like that Dave Ramsey course that I. Do you remember I was doing that Dave Ramsey course, and that's why I went in my whole trying to get debt free thing as well. Yeah. 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 I mean, do, I, you, do you have one question? Do you have um, the set the school loans? Because we have still massive school loans hanging over our head. Do you, you've you've paid them off or no? Yeah, so I came out of college with thirty thousand. Thirty. Yeah, 30, okay, 30, that's great. Student loans, 
which is not terrible. I mean, it was substantial. I was paying about $350 a month, which, you know, when you're just out of school, that's a lot out of your tax income. Um, But when I started making some decent money, when I, I, when I, in the more towards my late twenties, when I finally got a high paying gig and I wasn't doing a startup, I, I paid off. I, I just put all of my cash into my loans and just knocked out the remaining like 15,000 in about three months. Oh crap, Georgie's still got like 70k. <laughs> so that's going to take us some time. Yeah, that's brutal. I mean, but it felt so good to get that bet. I mean, I was like, I, every time I thought about it for like the following year, I was just put me in a good mood. I'm like, I got no more student loans. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> you hear people talking about like, well, you really shouldn't pay off your student loans because you're good for your your credit rating or this low interest. And I'm, I don't agree with that. I'm just like, you should knock that out, man. I mean, just, just just get rid of your loans as quickly as possible. And, and it's, it's such a feeling of freedom. And you know what I was going to say, too, is that that 70 grand of debt that we had from remodeling our condo? Yeah. Well, you, you, to pay that off, it's not 70 grand. I mean, you have, that's your after-tax. Yeah, earnings. yeah, what exactly. You yeah. Make $120,000, $130,000 you got to make in mm. excess of what you need to live and, uh, you know, to just pay off that debt. And that's brutal. Yeah, it's a big deal. That's a so because we because when we when we first we did all the remodeling, I mean, some of the debt was like equity home equity line, and some of it was credit cards, and we ended up just combining it with one of those like nonprofit like debt consolidation um, programs. Mm-hmm. And the the woman happened to call our place when Sandy wasn't around. Sandy would usually kind of deal with this, and I, I answered, and she's just like the lady was like, I can't believe how much you guys have paid off. You guys have paid off fifty thousand dollars, and I'm like, yeah, that feels pretty good. So anyway, I, I um, I was just I've been feeling good about that the last couple of days, just thinking about it. And then uh, along similar lines, so I just realized the other day that I got to like get back on the workout weight loss. Oh really? Bandwagon? Yeah. Well, I've just kind of hold. I mean, I I don't know. I mean, I, the the thing is, I work out five six days a week. I work out pretty hard, but I just eat too much. Mm. And I still eat like um, I've been. Uh, it's re- it's interesting you should bring that up because I've just I've just uh, run into and you know me here how I'm always love to try out these programs and these these new different concepts and ways of losing weight and being fit. And one thing that I've just recently come in to come into contact with is something called the Gabriel Method. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's a guy in Australia who w- basically was 420 pounds and got himself into absolutely peak condition. Like you you, you can't even tell that he was overweight. Um, and the, the, the way that he's done it is, is not by dieting the opposite. Actually, the way that he's done it is by adding nutrition to his, uh, his diet, which then as he claims, basically by adding this nutrition, which is essentially a lot of omega threes, um, a lot of good protein and a lot of live food that basically he, it just made him gradually want to stop eating pizza and move towards eating more healthy stuff. But something else, the, the, the main premise about what, he, what his uh, theory is, is to change your set point. So basically, it's about uh, making your body want to be thin, which makes it naturally shed more weight. And he's got a really interesting thing, and I think you'll like this, is that um, basically, if, if we're in starvation mode, in other words, diets, right, it, our set point goes higher because we're, you know, think, think about the way that humans evolved, right? So, so, so the set point goes higher. We want to gain weight because we're in starvation mode. Right. So that's kind of one survival mechanism. That's, that's like the, the build fat program, as he calls it. But he, say, he said that, that 
that's created by the stress of feeling lack, right? Feeling lack. Okay. But there's another stress that you can create on your body. And if you, if you make yourself feel like, if you make your body feel like it's got that stress, it will then naturally want to lose weight. So the stress is, is think about being in a scenario where you're running away from like wild animals. <laughs> right. Right. So you're, so you're, you're in the, you're in the, it's, it's a bit like a mind hack, right? So you're in the desert or something or, or, or wherever, you know, wherever the tigers are or something like that. And basically your mode of survival is you need to be light. You need to run. And so you, you need to not carry extra weight. So it's the opposite of starvation mode. It's just like, whoa, let's just shed this weight so we can run the hell away from these tigers. And so basically he's saying that he's saying that to trick your body into that, one one little um, mind hack or body hack or whatever is during is do a regular workout, but then just really sprint and visualize that you're running away from something, and it kind of fools your body into thinking, oh, I ne- I need to change my set point to a low set point. Now, is this based on any science, or is this guy just kind of making stuff up? Uh well, I think that uh, he is. Let's see, he's a biochemist, which might interest you as well, by the way. Okay. Um, he, he he's a biochemist, and he he um. He put all his weight on on Wall Street. Um, he's a pretty intelligent guy. I mean, the thing is, the thing is, I I would say it probably is based on some science, but uh, I don't know exactly what that science is. I've just told you what I've what I've gleaned from it so far. But I like I like that idea. That's like like it's a body hack. Make yourself think that you're running away from a from a tiger. Well, you know what? Um, you know what I, I'm interested in is the uh, paleo diet. Yeah. Have you heard of that? I have. A friend of mine in Ireland uh, lost a lot of weight doing that. Yeah, so up at Uber, a bunch of those guys, do the, or I guess some of the girls too, they do, they've done or have been doing the uh, paleo diet. And yeah. they've lost a lot of weight, like everybody. I was talking to Curtis, and it was like, I guess in a month he had lost 10 pounds hmm. already. Just do it. Not, he wasn't working out at all. And I guess so. the gist of, it, the, of the paleo diet is that you only eat things that homo sapiens ate before we um, developed agriculture. So there's no breads or rice or anything like that. I mean, there was things like, you know, meat and, uh, I don't know, vegetables and fruits, nuts, eggs, maybe. Something I, I like think that. You, you just can't go wrong with something like that. I mean, basically, all of them ultimately end up at something like that, which is basically eating live, unprocessed food. As long as you eat generally good, live, unprocessed food, you're probably going to get trim. Yeah, I mean, I, the key, I think, is that is the carbohydrates. I right. think the problem is that we eat so many of these simple carbohydrates and sugars, so Cokes and uh, breads and things like that, that just are incredibly rich in calories, and they're so easy to eat. Mm-hmm. And whenever I cut back on the carbs, I mean, I don't feel as full, right? You know how, like, when you eat, like, pancakes or something, you feel like you had to take a nap for an hour or something? Yeah. And... um I don't know. I think it. I so what I I'm not prepared to do the full paleo. That's a little extreme for me, but I'm going to follow. I think what's what I would call paleo inspired. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, so I'm gonna I'm gonna follow the uh, the paleo inspired. I think and just start cutting back on my carbs a little bit. And actually, I've noticed that I, I, even just after a few days of doing it, I definitely feel like I'm consuming less calories and I'm not really that hungry. And I think I, I think I can do it. I think that in combination with working out hard, which I've been doing, it's I think I can do it. Because I'm like I I, I I broke the 200 barrier. I've been kind of hovering like over 200 pounds, about 203. And I'm like I really want to get down to like 175, 180. And I when I broke the 200, I'm like okay, 
now I'm making progress. Like you, that whole thing, like like for your, you know, in terms of getting out of debt, like you start smell blood. Like okay, I've lost four or five pounds pretty easily. Now it's time to step on the gas. Okay, so uh, you want ready to change the subject? Yeah, yeah. Let's go ahead. I guess the uh, the whole paleo thing. We put your head on that. Well, I want to ask. You, I yeah, think so. so I just want to ask you. You were doing the um, the was it the all vegetable diet stuff? You're not interested in doing that anymore? Or, or what that? no, no, no. I am. I am. I want to. I want to bring uh, this guy's um, the Gabriel method thing into my into my kind of daily routine, and we'll see what happens. Like I said, basically, it's going to be adding a lot of. Um, Omega threes, um, making sure there's good protein with each meal, making sure there's a lot of good live food with each meal. Well, what were you? Well, I mean, isn't, then, if you're eating all vegetables before, I mean, isn't that the case anyway? Yeah, but I haven't really been. I mean, I've been totally cheating. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he's he's saying right that what happens is, you know, that by bringing a large amount of this stuff into your diet, it it's going to essentially, if you do it for a, you know a decent period of time, like at least three months, that you will then start to move in the right direction. Right. So it's not it's not like a quick thing where you lose ten pounds or something like that. It's basically really trying to fix you in the for the long right, haul. Right, right. You, you know one thing one thing I want to say about it though this whole the whole losing weight thing is I've noticed that when you you make some progress on like for instance like if you start if you start working out and you lose a few pounds just as a result of working out hard, you don't want to eat as much food because you you know how much hard work it was, right? Yeah. And then when you start cutting back on your on your diet a little bit, eating a little better. You're like, well, I want to go work out. I want to make this count for twice as much, right? I mean, I was good the last couple of days. Didn't eat any, you know, junk food or cut back on the carbs. So I want to go and make this count twice as much and and do you know extra twenty minutes on the uh, cardio of cardio or whatever. And I noticed yeah. that one thing. It's like you just it's like once you start making some progress, it's 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 it, that's the key thing. It's like you once you get the momentum going. Uh, you're you're there. It's just the hardest part is getting that momentum going, you know. And the and the yeah. momentum going is not a habit, but achieving a series of like milestones, you know. And because uh, if it's easy to just kind of do stuff, and 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 if you're not sort of like checking to see if you're making progress, whether it's like getting on the scale or checking your bank account or whatever the heck it is that you're trying to achieve, then you're you're kind of just you know in habit mode. You're not really holding mm-hmm. yourself accountable to say, okay, am, is this actually working? Am I making progress? So I just noticed that I just noticed that last few days that all of a sudden I was more willing, because I'd made progress working out, I was more willing to, to, to do better on the diet. So anyway. Awesome. Anyway, on to something else. Okay, so, so what I want to talk to you about is the mystery boom. I don't know what that is. Okay, well, the mystery boom is something that happened to me last night. So I was, uh, well, we were all here um, at George's parents' house okay. and we'd, we'd all uh, gone to bed okay. and it's like about uh, just approaching midnight. And I know because I was looking at my iPhone at mm-hmm. the time and it was completely so, like where they just live on, on the side of a hill. So there's no kind of traffic around. There's no noise out of nowhere. This massive boom, this massive explosion out of nowhere, just this kind of very brief, very brief flash of light and a massive boom. Huh. And like, not just an averagely loud boom. I mean, not even as loud as an airplane flight. I mean, like the loudest boom that any of us had ever heard in our entire life. (laughs) Like it was so loud and it shook the, it shook you, the, you know, from inside, it was just so big. 
and I guess I guess Sonic Boom is the is what it may have sounded like. I don't know. Right. But anyway, so we we got up and looked outside and walked around the house. Nothing. No fires. Everything. The whole neighborhood completely peacefully quiet. Nothing around whatsoever. And we're like, did we imagine that? Like that was the loudest sound we've ever heard. Right. Mm-hmm. Called up called up the police and they said that. Uh, a, a lot of other people had reported the same thing, mm-hmm. but that was it. There's, there's no other information about it. Like that nothing's damaged, no buildings on fire. That's weird. It sounds like that would, it sounds like it could be, like you said, a, a sonic boom of like a, a jet fighter. Yeah, but there was no jet fighter. There was no, there was no precursor sound. It was just out of nowhere. And, it, and there was no, like, some home meth lab just blew up <laughs> or something. <laughs> no, there was nothing. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think it was? I, I, my, the only thing, what I was thinking was, I was thinking back to that story you told me about where some kid had a, had a meteorite graze his shoulder. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I hit his hand, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. And it was like, isn't there supposed to be like a sonic boom when meteorites hit the ground or something? Probably. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I would assume that it, there's some kind of a loud, yeah. That's actually what the kid said. It was, it was this incredibly loud, loud, you know, Boom, I guess. So, yeah, maybe it was a meteorite. So that's what I was, th- I was thinking back to that, because, like, there's absolutely no sign of anything going on. But and, if it was and, a meteorite, there should be a big hole in the ground somewhere, a, a little crater. You know, yeah, but, I mean, how are you going to find it? I mean... Uh, well, I, I don't know. I mean, did, 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 there's no reports of uh, meteorites appearing no. hitting anywhere? No. There's, like, there's, there's a little bit of, uh, I guess, forest around here, but... There's, there's, there's no reports of meteorites or anything. There's, you know, I've been look, checking the news all day. Nothing. I don't know. I guess it's going to remain a, a mystery for us. And the animals, the animals were completely unfazed. Like they, they were just, you know, totally relaxed. The dog, which normally goes crazy if a postman comes up the drive, um, totally no, no issue. Huh. I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> the mystery uh, boom. <laughs> uh, street boom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, so that's it. All right. Well, what else you got? What's um, yeah. What's uh, what's going on with Plugio? Oh, uh, well, Plugio. I did remember. I, did I tell you about that little experiment I did? Where basically, what I'm doing is when when people uh, essentially have looked at the plans and pricing pages a few times, I'm going to push a discount to them. Right. So basically, say you know X percent discount when they when they do that. So I've been running that test for the last week, and I mean I know it's very early to say, but it does look like it's uh, increased uh, conversions by I don't know 100 percent. Wow! So you've doubled so, conver- your rate, your conversion rate. Yeah, but it's not like our conversion rate was massive beforehand. But basically, it it does. I mean, we we went up, you know, to 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 more than double. But I don't want to say I don't want to say the numbers, but uh, of of how of how many conversions we had. Why? Well, maybe, but because it's it's such a small, it's such a small. Well, we know, um, we know conversions are small. It's always like one percent, one point eight percent, right? I mean, that's what conversions are. No, no, no. Are. But I mean, how many They're actual low. conversions? I mean, basically, yeah. here's the deal. Um, I guess the average conversion rate is normally at something uh, for for Plugio. It's normally been around um, 0.7, okay. 0.7, 0.7 conversions a day. But this has taken it up to something like two point one conversions a day. That's, that's a that's triple. Just, that's just three for a week. That's a three x improvement. But it's just for a week, right? Yeah. And it's it's only very small numbers. I mean, that's that's the problem with it is that because the conversion rate is so low. I mean, only point seven people converting a day, <laughs> right. going up to two point something. You know. Right. 
Well, what do you um? What are your thoughts on the freemium stuff? I you know I didn't get a chance to read this article. I I sent it to you because I thought you might be interested. It was like the death. Felt something like the death of freemium. You know, I didn't read it. Crap, I should have. Well, let's talk about how freemium is just done for Plugio. I mean, you've been do you doing freemium for about a month now, six weeks. Yeah, yeah. It's well. Yeah, it's funny. We 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 sort of argue about it a little bit in uh, Company Fifty Two about whether it's done good or not. From my perspective, I don't know. Um, I mean, basically, what what the general consensus is is that since we've opened it up to freemium, people can now join, and there's less kind of ill will against Plugio because so many people, when people mention it to other people, before what was happening is they were going to the site and they were like, "Oh God, I have to pay," or like, "It's really difficult for me to find the way to sign up for free." I mean, it always had a free plan, but it was just hidden. Right now, the free plan is very visible. So when friends refer other, other friends to Plugio, it's real easy and fast for them to sign up for them to check it out. Um, and there definitely is more buzz about it because so many more people can sign up for free when they sign up. A little, a little tweet window pops up and says, you know, I'm checking out Plugio, right? Some people tweet that out. So there's a lot more viral tweets about it. Okay. So I don't think you can do that unless it's got something, some kind of freemium aspect. But if it's just... Well, the problem is, is if it's only referring... To other freemium seekers, free seekers, then what does it matter? Well, I mean, are they really only free seekers? I mean, if you look at, for example, Evernote, I mean, they say that sometimes those people take 12 months to convert, but they, they've got a good conversion ratio, even though people are taking 12 full yeah, months see, to I convert. Yeah, see, I think Evernote's a little different, that, because Evernote becomes more valuable the more stuff you have on it. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's why that's I think true. it's different than a lot of services. It's like the more of your life... The more of your life information is on, is on Evernote, the more that you're just kind of locked in and you feel like, all right, fine, I'll pay for it maybe. Um, I don't know. I just I don't know if it's the same thing or not. I mean, I, I guess the only answer is, of course, through experience and metrics, I guess. So what, um, I mean, have you, have, you run any, can, have you done any comparisons between people who come from a free account using that for a while and then upgrading versus people coming right away and sign up for a paid account? Well, you could always, with Plugio, you could always basically get the free account. And what happened was the conversion ratio tended to be around 25% for people who got that free account, right. which is pretty high, a pretty high conversion ratio. And I think the reason is, is because it was really hard to get a free account. So those people were pretty serious about Plugio anyway. Right. Now, there's a lot more free people using it. And the conversion ratio is like, obviously, way, way lower. Um, actually, I don't, I don't have the exact stats right right to hand but i know that it's a lot, lot less um what was the, what was the question <laughs> <laughs> well yeah i just want to know what the what you what you've done in terms of analytics to understand whether it's working or not that's all not too much right now are you planning because i'm just wondering i mean are because it could end up hurting you if, if 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 you give away too much value with the free account it could be get people to just say just not pay ever they'll just get away for using free but how do you have any numbers for how many of those free people have upgraded in the past since you started the freemium? The no, new I freemium don't. Account? I don't. I'm sorry, I don't have. The, I don't have the good statistics. I haven't done the analysis, so this discussion is probably not not that great. All right, right. all right. So move on. <laughs> yeah. Well, what about um, the uh, the marketing effort? Has that paid off at all? Yeah, we've definitely got more people. Um, the the marketing's definitely paid off in the sense that there's, it's become more viral because of the freemium. Um, the site is obviously much better looking, but if true, if truth be told, I mean, there hasn't been an absolutely massive, it's like, I remember Ruben from 
from, from BidSketch. I was discussing this with him. I said, I can't wait to get the new design out. It's really going to change things. Like all the conversions going to really change. And he was like, well, you know what? When I added my new design, it didn't really make that much of a difference for me. And I'm, I'm seeing similar kind of results. It's not making it, the, the whole new design hasn't made that much of a difference in terms of the amount of people um, upgrading. Yeah. I, you know, one thing I've noticed is that, because you were telling me how you were getting a little down about Plugio the other day, right. because some of the stuff wasn't paying off because of how difficult it was. Yeah. And one thing I've noticed is that you'll get really, really excited about some new, I don't know, something new you're going to do, whether it's in a new business or it's a new tactic or something. And if it doesn't pan out, you kind of crash. You, know, you have these kind of <laughs> big ups and big downs. I mean, do you think that's... Do you think that's true? I mean, do you think that you have a tendency to get a little too optimistic? And then, of course, the crash has a, 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 a sort of a, a, I don't know, a long-term negative effect on you? Yes, I'm definitely a bipolar businessman. Right. Well, if you were, I mean, is there anything you can, you can do to kind of even that out so that you're just like, under, that you know that most things you try are probably going to fail. So just do them, but don't get too excited about them. So that you're not too disappointed if it turns out to be have no real effect or no real upside. Mm, maybe because <laughs> it's like <laughs> is it over times where like there's some idea that we'll talk about or somebody else will have and you're like oh that's a billion dollar business or this or you know this is going to be huge. <laughs> I'm like dude, I mean, I it's so few things are billion dollar businesses. There's you know, and uh, especially on the web, you know, and. Um, I mean, we're, you know, much less even, you know, million dollar businesses or something, you know, um, so I'm just like wondering if there's, if there's anything you do to kind of remind yourself to kind of, to check yourself so you don't get, because I hate seeing the crash, right? I, you, you crash hard <laughs> and then you just get all down, which I think ultimately probably hurts you. What's the point in doing anything? I mean, if everything doesn't work, then that you must, I think it's just better off to just get a day job. No, 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 no. See, I, I think the thing is, is that you just have to try a lot of stuff. You know, I think, I think for just, well, I don't know. I mean, entrepreneurship is about, is a, is a series of experiments. It's like what scientists and inventors do. They just, you just have to try lots of things. And knowing that most of the things you're going to try are going to fail. Because if one of every three, two or three things you tried worked, then it would be really easy to do, which means that probably a lot of people would do it. You know, if, if it turns out that like one of our 20 things kind of works and one every 30 or 40 works really well, then it's like hard and you just have to, you know, that's why most people just don't do things because they give up after the first handful of things they try fail. But I, well, you you know that. You I think you know that deep down. I just think emotionally you allow yourself to get a little too optimistic. Well, you can't accuse me of not trying a lot. <laughs> No, I'm not. No, I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you're not trying or like that. I'm just trying to figure out like how to, how what would be a tactic to keep you from uh, experiencing the crash. But but there, there's no point. I mean, if I'm not optimistic, I don't want to do it anyway. So that, I don't think that that strategy would work very well with me. You can't just be kind of okay. So it's you're just it's just going to be it's just going to be by the bipolar businessman. Yeah. What's the <laughs> what what's the point in in really trying for something unless you think this is really going to work? I don't, I don't know. I think you'd say, well, this might work. This looks interesting. And if it doesn't, you know, then at least we'll know this won't work. Or I have five other like variations on this I might want to try. So you so you want to so so you want to work on stuff where you think to yourself, yeah, this might work. I don't know. No, I said that. I think like, I is 
I want to work on things I'm excited about, but I understand, I, I always know that things take time and a lot of things that you try just may not work out that well. And uh, it's kind of like what, I think we're, we're interviewing the guys, uh, the founders of Kaggle, the, the, the mm-hmm. data analysis competitions. And it's like the, the people who are successful, the ones that would just keep banging away, they keep trying things. So if it's like, you know, if you tried to come up with some algorithm that was supposed to improve like recommend Netflix recommendations or something, and like your first one or first handful didn't get these amazing results, you would never be successful because a lot of these individuals and teams who are co- competing, you know, in these are, are participating in these competitions. I mean, they would have to try dozens and dozens of things and, and you know. And they would over many months or sometimes depending on the competition years. Okay. But when you've been trying on a product like Plugio and you've been working and putting your heart into it for three years and you, you know, every little effort you put into it is like just, Oh, now I've got an extra two people. (laughs) Now I've got an extra three people over three years. And it's like, it's taken so long to just creep up to 4,000 a month. Like at this rate, I'm going to keep on working at it in like five years time. It's going to be 10,000 a month. I mean, oh. do you know what I mean? It's like, wouldn't that be slightly disheartening? It is. Well, I mean, it's the, the, the hockey stick sort of explosive growth thing is sort of such an outlier that it might as well just be a myth. You know, that so few companies really experience that, experience that, especially hockey stick growth that has like real revenue with it. And it's like to, so I think you just kind of have to not think like that way. You just think that it's going to be a grind, you know, just yourself in the mind that like, this is going to be a grind. It's like a couple of friends of mine who are screenwriters. I'll come up and like, so what's going on with, uh, you know, you know, the, 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 the such and such screenplay or whatever. It's like, oh, you know, still meetings, still got another option out, you know, and it's like this is like years. They don't get excited. Like, oh, my God, this is going to get developed by Universal. And this and that. They're like, yep. You know, these things take years and years and years. And they just you just. They write lots of screenplays and they have lots of meetings and some stuff gets sold and some stuff gets optioned and, you know, they just don't get too excited about it because it's just, uh, if they right, got but, too excited but, about it and it didn't work out, they would just stop writing because it would be just too. Yeah, but is it the, is it the sunk cost fallacy? Because, they, I mean, well, first of all, I think that, let's just go back. First of all, I think that with money, it would be easier to grow Plugio because I feel like it's at that stage where it actually needs cash to to acquire customers but anyway go moving back to what i just said about the sunk cost fallacy is it potentially that because if you look at we've we know a lot of other people who've been doing businesses for three years and they're not growing at that slow pace let's take for example rob walling right obviously you know all the stuff that he's been doing i mean and a lot of other entrepreneurs that we know after three years of dedicated focused entrepreneurial effort they're earning more than four grand a month well, Rob Walling's a complicated case because he had lots of small businesses, and a lot of the stuff he tried failed, right? I mean, he talks a lot about how, how he tried a lot of things that failed, and he kept trying. And a lot of the things that he's done have just turned out to be very just base hits. I mean, they make a little bit of money. Not, they're nothing big. And no matter what he does, to, you know, in terms of marketing, they just, there's, not, there's not that much growth available. Okay, a- Amy Hoy, you know, pulling in half a million a year. Um, I mean, there's look, listen, there's countless, there's countless examples of bootstrapping entrepreneurs who are making a lot more than four thousand. I wouldn't say there's countless. <laughs> I'd say there are 
there are there definitely are plenty, but it's not like this vast number of just super successful money generating uh, bootstrap startups that are that are cranking out half a million to many millions in cash. I, you know, there are there. No, I'm I, not talking it, about half a million. I'm just talking about look the the holy grail is, is all it's ever been for me was ten thousand, just enough to you know just so that you your basic salary is covered. Right, right. The basic lifestyle business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we, we know a lot of people who've done that, and certainly have done that within three years. So, so you know, when I get down about it, it's just because it's like, oh my god, how freaking long is it going to take before this, you know, before this thing is just bringing me in base level salary? Yeah, yeah. No, I understand. I mean, I, not that I, it's, 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 I'm not trying to give you a hard time about getting frustrated or anything. I'm just trying to figure out like, is there a way for you to sort of. Uh, hack your emotions so that you don't experience the crash. That's all I'm saying. How do you, how do you, because it seems like what you'll do is you'll get really excited about stuff. You work really hard and if things don't work out, then you don't want to work on it for a while. You kind of burn out. And, but if, but if you just said, all right, okay, well, I got, you know, 30 experiments lined up. Here's experiment number six, number seven, number eight, you know, eventually one of these is going to hit. <laughs> it's just a lot of numbers. You know, right. you just keep, keep pushing. That's all. Well, you're probably right. But if, but that, it would be inc- it's just so much easier if, if the base salary was covered. Sure. That's, that's the thing, right? So for, that's why investment would be so good. Because then, okay, now I don't need to worry about how I'm making a living. Now I can really just focus on this thing. Like there still hasn't been a point where I could actually just focus on it. Yeah, well, I mean, that's, that's the, but then of course you have a whole other, um, what do they call like a can of worms, you know, when you have investors. I mean, it's a whole nother yeah. set of problems, you know, you know, because it's not like, you know, all the revenue then goes to pay for you. I mean, you get paid some kind of a salary or something, but the re- all the money is just going to go right back into the business. And it's only going to get sold for some amount that the investors are happy with. Well, probably not because, because it depends on the controlling stake of the business, right? Well, I guess it depends, right? I mean, it depends on who you're taking money from, but, um, you know, I don't, I don't think someone is going to want to give you a half a million or a million dollars for you to just, you know, take out the revenue and just kind of pay yourself and then grow it slowly. I mean, why would they want to do that? They No, 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 they would they wouldn't want to do that. But I mean, the whole thing the whole thing would be to get more than that and to put a very large chunk into customer acquisition. Right. Well, I think well, and one thing you'll have to demonstrate of course to investors is that you've you have a customer acquisition function. Like you put in $1 and you get yeah, and we and that's what we're still trying to find, and that's the you know we're still trying to pin that down in a very definite way, and that's a that's a really difficult thing to pin down. I mean, for me, maybe maybe there's other people who could do that really easily, but for me, I'm finding that very hard. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's yeah, of course that's the you know once you can demonstrate that, then it probably isn't be, shouldn't be too hard to to attract investment. If you can't do it, then it doesn't matter. Yeah, if you can't figure out that how to do it, then no one's going to be interested in giving you money because you're not they're not going to be convinced that their money. But I. I don't think a lot of people want to invest in something like Plugio because it's basically at the end of the day, it its perception is it's a me too, you know, versus Hootsuite or any of these other dashboards, right? So maybe maybe it is profitable, maybe it does have a conversion rate, but a couple of points. One is that it's like three years old and it hasn't, you know, the traction of it although you could look at the revenue curve and you could say, Wow, you know, that revenue is like doubling, tripling every year. That's awesome. But it's still only very small numbers, still only small amounts of customers. And then just the fact that it's, it's perceived as a me too, I just think it's going to be pretty hard to get investment. That's true. I mean, okay, well, one thing is, 
when numbers are really small, when things are, you know, growing exponentially and they're really small, it still looks linear. It's when the numbers get big, it's really exciting. So mm. that's why you just need to stick with it, probably. I mean, assuming that they're following some kind of growth curve, that's, that's, that's promising. Um, but I won't need investment. I, like, I, it, it's now that I need investment. I won't need investment once it's, once it's growing and bootstrapping and everything's good. It's just now that I need the investment to, to scale out the acquiring of the customers. So it's kind of like essentially defunct, really. Defunct? What do you mean? Yeah, in, in, the, in the fullness of time, if that's the strategy that I took, then basically it'd be like, if I just said, okay, stick with it for a year and then get it to a point where all the numbers look big, there would be no purpose for investment yeah, anymore. Well, I, I, yeah, well, I, I mean, that's sort of been what my position on this has been for the last, you know, we've, as we've been talking about the last few weeks, is that I think you're better off just, uh, just growing it like you have been. I mean, because I think it's going to be tough to, to attract investment because one of the things that investors want you know, and I don't. I mean, investors are all different. Obviously, this is a huge generalization. We're we're talking about Silicon Valley, like angel list type people. I mean, they're looking yeah. for things that are hitting on some kind of overall trend, some new trend. And Twitter clients isn't a new trend. I mean, that was an exciting trend in two thousand, you know, eight nine. You know, yeah. But two thousand twelve, it's a little. It's, it's not as it's not as a new and exciting. And it's like the new. The, you know, and I think they're looking for these like anyone who any any uh, startup that jumps on this early enough and does a good job executing, they have this extra, you know, wind at their back kind of thing. And so they're always looking for this, the, the new, new thing. Well, for example, I'll give you an example with any food. Let's say we got investment with any food mm-hmm. and we had money to spend on doing Google AdWords and all, all sorts of customer acquisition things because any is basically blue sky and not red water. Um, blue sky being, something completely new and red water being there, you know, in the competition with the sharks. It's called red ocean, blue ocean. So, Oh, red ocean, blue ocean. Okay. Fair enough. Well, I'm saying blue sky and red water. <laughs> That's my way. <laughs> um, but basically our dollars could go further with an investment in any food because there'd be less competition. There'd be less competition with AdWords and all the different places because there isn't, there, there, there isn't anything. Well, there's not very much that's kind of in that same space. Yeah, I mean, of course, the downside of when you're in Blue Ocean is that you may not be in a market at all that anyone cares about. Like, you know, it's like, hey, nobody's doing this. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, one, A, that may be a sign that there's no market there, that there's no demand. The, the other issue could be that even if there is demand or there's potential demand, that you have to educate the marketplace that this is a problem that they actually have that's solvable in, in, in a way that they, might, that they would understand. Right. So yeah, in, in educating a, a market is, is can be expensive. I mean, it's just a, it's just like you know. I think it's a little bit. The grass is greener. You know, it's like, do you want to go in a market that's established? There are, there are competitors here. Um, there are people are paying for it. Investors are investing in it. And you can always say, well, I'm going to go and grab. I'm going to out execute some of these companies and grab a slice of this market because there's people there paying. Or I'm going to go to some market where nobody is. In which case you could just be like, I'm on the moon. Hey, I'm on the moon, everybody. And everybody's like, yeah, good for you. <laughs> Nobody cares. <laughs> like, hey guys, I'm on the moon. Look, this is great. You know, I mean, so, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's like, uh, it's, it's it, it just depends. I mean, it's just you know, and it's, sometimes it's just how things turn out. But um, those are uh, they're, they're two. It's not the the blue ocean strategy isn't always like that's 
the, obviously the thing to do. There's just a whole other set of risks associated with it. And I think because you're, you're, you're currently in a situation where you are in a well-defined marketplace and that is sort of a, you know, a, a red ocean uh, environment that you're like thinking like you want to get the hell out and go to some blue ocean, but you could be in a situation that could be just the, you know, there's no money there anyway. Right, right. If, if you went blue ocean. But it's just like every click, you, you know, every click, every eyeball you're just fighting for, you're scrapping for, you know, when you've got all these other big competitors. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's, change, uh, let's change topics. You, let's talk about uh, Divergence. Yeah. What is Divergence.com? Yeah. So we had, um, we had my uh, buddy Dan Southworth on, like, what was that, like about two months ago or so, three months ago, mm-hmm. talking about his web, uh, sort of a, a web-based, I call them webisodes, web, I don't know. It's, not a, it's like a TV show that, that has, that's aired on the web in a series of like six, seven-minute episodes. When we spoke with him, he said that, and we asked him, like, what was going to be the distribution strategy, and he was at first going to be shopping it around to some networks to see if they can actually get it on TV, like a sci-fi channel or something. Yeah. And um, I don't know if that has panned out or what the story is. I guess it probably has, in the short term, it hasn't panned out because they released their first episode or their first webisode on uh, YouTube. Yeah, and, and it's really good, too. But there, so I, I, I didn't realize they were going to be just six minutes long, each of these uh, episodes. Would you, how long do you think they were going to be? I thought it was going to be, you know, like that other show that we saw where it was going to be like half, you know, 20 minute, 30 minute episodes. Here one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I think I think with the the YouTube um, distribution strategy, I think that webisodes tend to be shorter. Like you can get away with shorter content. I think when people want mm. stuff on their laptops or I don't know, their iPads or something, they're they're okay with watching shorter stuff. In fact, shorter stuff may work better because you're watching it while kind of in between doing other things, you know? Mm-hmm. You don't may not have a half hour or an hour to watch, but you're like, oh, I'll watch this, you know, five or ten minute little um, clip. And uh, of course, it, it that's makes it um, makes it amenable to uh, low budget um, development because you know you can go out and and shoot a seven minute show and you know with I don't know like a week or a couple weeks of work or whatever. But if you're going to do like a you know a half hour show or an hour show, that's a much bigger deal yeah definitely but i thought it was cool that he got it up i you know i thought it was pretty well done i was i, was, I thought it, yeah it was good good that he got it up and it was intriguing by the time it got to the end of it you're like oh yeah now i want to i want to find out what's next so it, so it kind of it hooked you yeah that was very cool i one thing that was impressive i thought the um the actual um cinematography was good and the camera the quality the look of it was really good yeah you see they they, they use digital camera but you run it through filters in your um photo in your uh, film editing software and then that makes it look like a film yeah it kind of reminded me of the of the um movie uh, was it monsters is that mm-hmm. was it monster or monsters i always i think it's monster monsters I actually think it's monsters because i oh okay that mistake and uh they did like this kind of gorilla shoot yeah monsters um and, and it, it had that same kind of look, which was, you know, it looked really good. And, and Monsters was, I mean, I think they had, you know, more money. I mean, I think they had, you know, a, a mini budget of maybe a quarter million or something like that or half a million. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. That's big. And in fact, I talked to my buddy Mitch, who's, um, 
he uh, he does a lot of stuff. He and he's in the industry, and he's like he was saying that he thought it was actually like more like you know a million five or something like that, or it was like that the idea that they shot it for two hundred fifty thousand or a hundred thousand or whatever they were going around claiming was was only like half true. Like maybe that was what it cost to actually send the film crew out and shoot the stuff, but when you okay. post and the sound editing and everything, it was much, much more expensive. Um, but it makes it more of a story. If you say, hey, look at this great movie that we shot for $100,000, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I know Dan um, is shooting Divergence with, like, you know, essentially no money. <laughs> you know? I mean, it's just, you remember when we talked to him, it was like he and a, and a, and a couple of friends, a handful of friends are doing it. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, it's just it's, it's the uh, true bootstrap approach so well good luck to dan i hope that does well yeah. and uh and if listeners should definitely check it out um what is divergence.com please check it out and watch it and see what you think what is divergence yeah so um so we have a, a donation that we should probably quickly say and um scott ewell uh, sent us a 50 dollars donation and he says um uh thanks guys just sent you a 50 dollars donation after all the time you put into this and the great ideas and content it's been it's been feeling almost criminal not to contribute, and then he he ends with Justin, make sure you share this with Jason. Yes, yeah, which is, <laughs> <laughs> now I have actually I, that that did inspire me to uh, add up all the donations so far. So well, I think we were we were quits um, up to the point of Microconf 2011, and then every donation after that I've been keeping. <laughs> so uh, the full amount is one thousand two hundred eighty one so far so i owe you 640 awesome i love it. yeah <laughs> well we also got to decide if we're gonna um if we're gonna spend it on some web design or spend it on getting some decent photos taken or whatever I mean, we, we've been talking about this forever but yeah. i don't know well, I'm sure we won't decide and nothing will happen with it. So I'll just give you 640 and then you can see what you want to do. With give it. me half. And then when we decide to do something, we'll just, <laughs> uh, you know, write it, write personal checks for it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's all. So that's cool. So anyway, listen, Scott, thanks so much for that. That's much appreciated. Yeah. See, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to take the photos until I, until I lose the 20 pounds. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've got a few more than 20 to lose. Um, so what, so hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll take them in like six months. <laughs> Six months, we looking good. Yeah. Uh, photos. Um, so, hang on. You sent me this other thing. Like, this is like the the dark and depressing news that you like. The, the terrifying background of the man who ran a CIA assassination unit. Assassination unit. What's that all about? Letters from the dark side. You thought there were no more letters. You <laughs> thought it was all goodness. You thought it was all rainbows and uh, unicorns. I was hoping it would be. Yeah, so um, I can't find that. I don't have the links in front of me because I restarted my computer when... Because the, uh, the the sound was going bad. Now I here I'll ping I'll ping the link to you right there. There you go. Okay. Oh, there we go. Politics there, right? So essentially, um, so this is in the Atlantic. Um, uh, this is I guess just yeah, it just came out like a couple of days ago. And I guess the deal is that uh, this guy, the guy who is running these covert assassinations, it started under Bush, but and it's continued under Obama. That. This guy ran it. He was CIA, and then he started working, I think, for Blackwater, which is now called something like Academy. Do you remember Blackwater? Do you remember hearing about that? Yeah, guys? yeah. Like, they were named, they were Blackwater, and then they renamed themselves Z, like XZ, and Academy. <laughs> like, they're, they're, they have so much, they get so much bad publicity that they keep changing their name, thinking that people yeah. will know who they are. Um, yeah. And because, uh, uh, you know, they were over in Iraq, and there were some 
things where they were killed a bunch of civilians and you know obviously there was a lot of political um backlash on that and everything so anyway the deal is this they this guy is talking about how they were running um this uh, assassination um an assassination program out of the CIA initially. So first, yeah, Bush was doing it. Then he said Bush was overseeing it or something. But what they did is he outsourced it to the CIA so that he didn't have any direct control over it. So he could, so if anything went bad or got any political backlash, like he wouldn't be held responsible. Now let's just be clear. When we say assassination unit, we're talking about killing people. That's right. You go out and murder people. Right. That's what assassination is. Right. But, but what? How can that, I mean, how can that anyone know that this is really true? Um, how does anybody know that this is true? That these that well, I mean, they, they were these are these the guy in. Did you read this? Yeah, I, I'm, I did. I didn't know because that that's that's why I was asking you to tell us about. What? What's the point of me sending these links if you're not going to read them? You don't read anything. <laughs> did you read it? Can I say you? I just just tell me how it how it <laughs> how it's working. So tell me. <laughs> all right, all right, right. So essentially, um, the well, first I'll go back and say that the CIA. So there was. First, Bush sent it to the CIA, had the CIA do it, and then the CIA outsourced it to Blackwater. And they, I guess the guy is talking to, the, the writer is talking to a couple of these um, Blackwater guys saying that, uh, and, they, and they were saying they were ex-Special Forces before they went to Blackwater, and that they were just killing people left and right in Afghanistan. And the guy, Prado is his name, the guy who was running it out of Af- uh, the CIA and then out of Blackwater, like... He was he was actually char- indicted on like six different counts of murder when he was a bodyguard for some um, narco crime boss out of Miami. That there was a um, like a multi um, department investigate federal investigation run out of uh, I think Miami Dade to indict this guy for a bunch of murders. And this guy is working for the CIA and Blackwater, running this assassination program. Isn't that crazy? Wow. That is crazy. Yeah, yeah, it was funny. So is, if I can find the, the link to it, he says, um, he goes, uh, initially, the, uh, the writer is trying to confirm with this um, Air Force colonel about yeah. these, uh, a couple of these Blackwater guys, you know, doing these assassinations. Because these guys would essentially, they were Mexican-Americans, so their skin, with their skin being a little darker, they could, they could blend in with the local population, in uh, in Afghanistan, they'd walk, they'd walk barefoot and wear the traditional um, garb and 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 carry their machine guns or whatever, like as if they were some kind of typical, you know, Pashtun uh, guerrilla fighters or something. Mm-hmm. Often, like every time on this one instance, they went and killed this guy that some CIA caseworker had identified for them. And so the guy initially said, um, "Let's see if I if I can get this right." Oh, I wish I could. He basically said that these guys were probably full of crap. That he said these guys are security guards that want to look like Rambo. Yeah, there's no real assassination going on. But that's what late, in the first place. Yeah. He says he says, but he says, okay. When I asked Ed O'Connell, a former Air Force colonel and Rand analyst with, with robust intelligence experience in Afghanistan, to evaluate these contractors' claims, he first told me they were almost certainly a fant- it was it was almost a certainly a fantastical crock of shit. But a year later, in 2011, after a research trip to Afghanistan for his firm, Alternative Strategies Institute, O'Connell had changed his assessment. He told me, your sources seem to have been correct. Private contractors are whacking people like crazy over in Afghanistan for the CIA. Wow. He says, so there you have it. A former 
Air Force Lieutenant Colonel speaking on the record and using the present tense said in 2011 that private contractors are whacking people like crazy over in Afghanistan for the CIA. Yep. See, that's what I was looking to hear. That's disgusting. Yeah. I just can't believe that that, 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 that exists. You know about the kill list stuff that that's been, that's been in. I don't know. I like to put my fingers in my ears. La, 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 la. I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> it's too depressing. No, I'm kidding. I do, I do want to hear about it, but uh, it's... Uh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. It sucks. You know, it's like, it's, it's, what's so interesting is that, I mean, people were kind of up in arms about this when Bush was doing it, but then all this stuff, Obama's essentially continued most of these same practices. I mean, whether it's the drone strikes or the assassinations and the, you know, Guantanamo and all that stuff. And it's like, people are just kind of like, huh. I ask you again, wouldn't you like to just start your own political show? No. Nah. (laughs) I'd rather just, I'd rather, no. I think it would be too frustrating to think about this too much. Like, think about it a little bit. But since it's kind of just out of our hands, it's so hard to make any type of meaningful impact on any of that stuff that spending any serious amount of time thinking about it would just be frustrating. I mean, I, I feel like I have to follow what's going on just because it's, I find it fascinating and shocking at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I also find it shocking that so few people are following this and know what's going on. So that even makes it more interesting to me. But I can't allocate any serious amount of time to, to, to following it. Okay. So I don't know. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Nope. You're forgiven. But, you know, on a, on a, on a similar note, um, do, do you read the article? It was, there's one in The Guardian. I can't remember the other one was by The New York Times or something about how... Um, there is a there's been some research done by some group specializing in this that they're estimating that 21 uh trillion dollars is now being held in offshore bank accounts outside of the uh sort of the formal banking systems oh wow no no i didn't read that so yeah so essentially you know you've heard about these offshore accounts that are like in switzerland yeah. payment yeah. stuff so a lot of these guys who you know worth hundreds of millions or billions of dollars i mean they start they move their money offshore or they invest it in certain ways so that they don't get taxed on it. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. Well, they were, they're also talking about, you know, Apple, for example, <laughs> doing that, shifting the money around in such a way that uh, a large amount of tax didn't need to be paid. Yeah, well, that happened. I mean, like all these big companies, I mean, there's been all kind of crazy things like ExxonMobil and Goldman Sachs paying like zero income Right, yeah. And zero, zero, literally zero income tax. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And I guess one of the big problems with this stuff is that, you know, as much as we all hate having to pay taxes, I mean, it's just painful when you have to write like 30 or 40 or 50% of your paycheck, your income, and give it to the government, right? I mean, it's just frustrating. Mm-hmm. It's just, it just feels like you're running uphill with 100, 100 pounds on your back. But then, but then you're all, you know, what makes it worse is that when you see, a lot of these people who've made just huge sums of money can afford to just not get taxed on the majority of their income or majority of their wealth. Do you think they should just bring the whole tax thing down to like 1% or 2% so that it's a small enough amount that people wouldn't bother to seek out the lawyers and try and save a whole bunch of money? Well, okay. Uh, I think what you would, I think the best thing to do, the simplest thing to do, like if I like to think about this stuff as like writing code, right? Like the, the US tax code, if it was a computer program, would be the biggest piece of spaghetti code crap <laughs> yeah that's true that's a great analogy so you know but you know it's like well how do we refactor this so that it was it would function well and actually we can understand it i would maybe think of doing like just taxing on goods and services 
you know, just just you know, raise taxes on all goods and services and no income tax. You know, and that we don't have all these we don't have to deal with income tax. It's like, you know, you you spend on So the value added tax kind of thing, you'd raise that. But that's already pretty high. I mean, you're already paying like 9% in some places. I don't know. I mean, I'm just, you know, I have I've thought of I haven't spent much time thinking about that this, but I don't know. I mean, or at the very least, you know, maybe 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 that wouldn't work, but maybe at least doing some kind of like, you know, simplifying the tax codes so you don't have this like, you know, all these crazy write-offs and and things, you know, that you just can't do that stuff. It's just like, you know, you make you pay everybody you pays 30% of their income or whatever and that's it or 20% of their income or 10% of their income or whatever. We're done. All right. Well, li- listen, changing the subject, um, unless you've had anything else to talk about on that one. That's it. Well, I was just saying that 21, that 21 trillion. So, I mean, it's not just oh, yeah. US, it's like, you know, uh, in Japanese and yeah. Saudi billionaires and, you know, European billionaires and stuff like that. And we're just talking about like, if you actually taxed, you know, like a 30% rate, like the 3% return on that capital, that would be enough to actually make a substantial difference. It was uh, to, to to the whole economy, basically shift the economy around. Yeah, it would yeah, you know, would make it would make a difference. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, just apart from the whole fairness thing, like it just doesn't seem fair that people can do that. You know that you know because because the amount of cost to do those that kind of thing is you know you you if you're if you're only worth a few million bucks or a few hundred thousand or you know less. I mean, obviously, you know it, it, you can't afford to do that. It doesn't make any kind of sense. It costs more to set up the kind of infrastructure to do that than you would actually save. So you have to be mm-hmm. tens or hundreds of millions of dollars to, for it to be a, to pay off. Well, talking about depressed, the depressed state of things. Oh, are you depressed? Uh, what do you think of, not what do you think of, that's the wrong way to put this. Just Let's just talk about this Colorado scenario because this is just outrageous that this has happened and it's, it's very strange that like uh, George and myself have been having a lot of debate about whether there's any possibility that this guy was crazy or whether he was just just had had an idea of what he was doing. What do you mean crazy? Like, I mean, because it's interesting. I remember reading an article, I mean, on a book on uh, the guy who started the the uh, profiling unit at uh, at uh, guess Quantico mm-hmm. right, back in the 70s. And they went around. He and his partner went around and talked and interviewed all of these serial killers all mm-hmm. that were in prison and just tried to, you know, and had, you know, a series of, you know, in-depth interviews trying to understand why they did what they did, what they were thinking, you know, what was going on. And so they could develop profiles. So when they went and they started seeing some evidence, like, okay, well, this sounds a lot like these, this type of a killer based on the people we've talked to. Yeah. And, one of the things I remember from the, the book is they were talking to this uh, psychologist who was testifying about some psychopath who had uh, murdered some women. And he's like, you know, he's not crazy in the sense he doesn't know what he's doing. He knows enough to co- – he's covering up his tracks. I mean he knows what he, – he, he understood that what he was doing was wrong. Well, see, George, George says it's possible to have uh, – like uh, my, my, my perspective is – Look, if you're ordering this stuff online for months in advance, you, you're building up this entire strategy, this whole thing, that it's just completely premeditated end of story, right? But she was she's saying that it is actually possible to have what they call a psychotic break, and that can last for, you know, years. So you can be in this kind of schizophrenic state where you could potentially be, you know, not, me- not full mental corpus, but at the same time, 
fully operational within the context of, you know, using the internet and talking to people. Yeah, I don't really buy that. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think I think you go off and murder a bunch of people, you, you know, that's it. I mean, you go to jail for life or whatever. I mean, I don't, I like, oh, I was, I was crazy for a day or a month or something. It just, that just doesn't strike me as that believable. I, but the whole, this whole thing seems very strange. I mean, this, the, just the way that the reporting's going about it and just talking about the guy. Well, what are you talking about? Because I haven't been following it really. So tell me what, when you say it's been crazy, the reporting's crazy. What, what about the reporting? What's strange? About- well, it's, it's strange that. So far, everyone that's been interviewed is is just saying this is a quiet, you know, this was a quiet guy who's polite and nice and hadn't really bothered anyone in any way, right? Um, and then just all of a sudden, crack- you know, or had been cracking. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, but to cracking to such an extent, like so planned, like so he'd for for a few months he'd he'd been purchasing rounds of ammunition. He'd you know purchased six six thousand rounds of ammunition purchased four guns oh actually what do you think what do you th- i mean do you think that there should this should open a debate about the control of arms in the u.s you know i mean yeah should people be able to run around with ak-47s <laughs> I, just, I mean so doesn't it make sense that that it should be really difficult to get a semi-automatic gun i mean yeah i mean I, yeah it's not but even if you had like a handgun you go in there with a glock or something i mean you could go out and take 10 people out you wouldn't even have- yeah but that's different you, you wouldn't be injuring 68 people and killing 14 yeah i mean i, I don't know i mean but see the thing is is it doesn't even matter because you know there's half the country that that is not going to accept that right so it's sort of a it's like it's just it's sort of it doesn't even matter i mean it's just not going to happen you know it's just not gonna. It's just like us. It's just like repealing the tax code. It's just not gonna happen. There's too much. There's too many people who believe in gun ownership. There's too much money in the behind the NRA and, and other lobbyists that are that are not gonna happen. Just like there's too much money behind uh, lobbyists supporting the tax code. All the money, the people who have so much vested in keeping it the way it is. So I don't really think that's an issue. I think what's really is silly as they keep bringing up the video game stuff. Like, you know, you go out and play these video games and I, I don't, I think that's, it's like, Oh, it's the video games that's causing it. But I don't think they're playing the same video games in Europe, I guess. Yeah. 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 No, but it, 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 the same kind of thing does happen in Europe though, doesn't it? Like that happened. What was it? Was it Norway or something and, recently? Yeah. In Oslo. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, who was it? Um, you know, what was so strange is the guy booby trapped his house. Right. But, but then he told the police that he booby trapped it, which seems strange. Why? Why? So, so what? He had some kind of. Oh, I don't. It's 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 confusing and perplexing. Like I don't understand how someone. Wait, hold on. Hold on. Could do. Did you not, could get did to you this. Not read anything about it? Did you not follow it? What about the booby trap? Yeah, I mean, you read about that, right? I mean, I. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, what what I'm saying, well, I'm just saying. Well, hold up. Uh, I, just answer my question real quick. I mean, why do you think he would booby trap his place, and then as soon as he gets caught and he's sitting in the cop car or whatever and he says oh my place is booby trapped i can only assume that some that he hadn't fully thought this through there there was there was reports saying that he had taken some vicodin before and one of the one of the reasons to take vicodin is to dull your senses so that you so that you kind of can move forward with what you're trying to do so you don't your conscience doesn't get the better of you and maybe your conscience rather and maybe you know, by the time he was in the police car, he just had given up or something. I don't know. I, I don't know. It's it's very strange. Well, 
uh, he was he like a neuroscience graduate student or did- yeah neuro neuroscientist yeah I mean I, I like half of me is thinking did he get involved with some kind of strange new you know neuro drug that he created or something I thought some kind of weird psychotic drug or speculating or say some evidence that he was involved in some you know research that he could have you know I don't know been involved, you know who knows maybe he maybe he uh, was. You know, he was drugging himself or something. I don't know. But, um, you know, what I think is even more interesting is like, you know, as awful as this is, this kind of stuff happens. People like this die around the world all the time, but we don't react to it the same way. Right, because it happens in other countries. Because it happens far away. And it's like that same thing we were talking about a couple weeks ago. We were talking about how, you know, they did the studies and like wealthier people didn't have a lot of empathy for people who were poor and suffering. Right. You know, because in the in the, or, or they they become disconnected to things in the economy where other people are suffering about the economy because they're like, well, I'm kind of immune to that. And it's it's just, I think it's just the way humans are. It's like, you know, if stuff doesn't isn't has a potential to affect me, I'm I just I don't have a lot of empathy. I just can't get myself to care that much. So if it happens, if it happens in Malaysia or in Africa, you know, you just kind of read something. You're like, wow, three thousand people were shot in the last month in Africa. Wow. Okay. Next. You know, you don't even think about it, right? Yeah, and this and it's sad. People die, but if but if somebody on your block gets shot, you're going to be reeling from that about that for weeks, months, right? right. And like next door got shot to you, got shot. You know, I mean, you, that, but what are, what are, what are you saying? I mean, this this is just the way the world is. What's your point about I'm saying it? Saying that's, I mean, that's they just saying that's what humans. It's like people, like you're all you're upset about this, but there's stuff in the news every day about people things just as gruesome or worse than this happening. Well, the reason why I'm especially upset about it is because the guy, so far anyway, from the reporting, seems like just a normal guy, and that's. Very scary because, first of all, it's like, oh, well, does that mean any normal person could do this? Could I do this? Could other people do this? It's like, is, you know, could my friends do this? Like, am I safe in this world? You know, See, that, it bring- that's exactly, that's what I'm getting to. It all comes down to self-preservation, right? Everything, we, everything that we worry about, all this fear comes down to self-preservation. So if it's somebody, if people are getting killed or shot are like you in some way. Either they're the same socioeconomic or uh, status or they live in the same area or whatever. If somebody is is in a far away or just in a different world or just in a, you know, it's like it's just it's sort of like it just doesn't affect you. Yeah. No? Well, no, I, 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 get, I get it, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I just, uh, so. Anyway, um, needless to say, obviously very, very sorry for this tragedy. Um it's just, it's stunning. It's, it's just awful. So. All right, well, let's move on. Sure. Um, so a couple of interesting things I want to talk about. Um, oh, yeah, the thing I think I said about that, here's the title. I sent this link to you. I think you read it. It's called Russian Research Project Offers Immortality to Billionaires by Transplanting Their Brains into Robot Bodies. I loved it. It's it's a plan that's just so crazy. It might actually work. <laughs> you know, it reminded me of how you wanted this telepresence thing for this other company you're working. Was it when you're working with? I can't remember the name of the company. Was it? Oh, my Vivo. Yeah, my Vivo. And like you wanted this little robot that would have a little screen with your face on it. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's essentially it. Except we're just going to go to the next step. We're just going to take your brain out of your body and stick it in this little telepresence robot. Okay, but is this guy really serious? That sounds to seem serious to me. I mean, um, I, who knows? The thing is, 
people can be serious, but they could still have zero chance of something making something happen. You know, I mean, ha- look, tell me something. Within the next thousand years, how are you going to connect all the neural points of a brain into uh, a robot? Like, how are you going to do that? Well, you're asking me. Uh, do I? I'm just saying, like this, like that's just nuts to even consider that that's possible. You know, okay. Like, first of all, what's possible in a thousand years is just impossible to imagine. I mean, I think it'd be it's going to be it's going to be almost impossible to imagine what's going to be possible in a hundred years. So, ten years, I don't think anything like that's going to be possible. Fifty years, maybe. 50 years, something like that, if possible. I was watching something on uh, this one science show I like called Through the Wor- Wormhole. I've mentioned that I think yeah. once. It's hosted by Morgan Freeman on the Science Channel, and I highly recommend it. Really interesting. So what they do is they, they pick a topic, and they interview a series of scientists on variations on some question. You know, like what is nothing or, you know, multiple universes or whatever, right? And um, one of them they were talking about was the ability to um, – Kind of the can you know kind of about living forever. Like, heck, is there a way to upload your brain to some kind of uh, matrix substrate or something? Right. Right. And they and I, I think logically it's possible once you have a high resolution enough uh, sort of like MRI or something. So like they were talking about having the this kind of machine. Like after someone dies, you know, right after they die, it would like it would they preserve it in some kind of temperature, or whatever. Before without freezing it, and they would take all these they, these like millimeter or tenth of a millimeter thick slices, and then they take the super high resolution photographs of it, so they could like replicate the neuron structures or something, the neural structures of it or whatever. Okay, so you're thinking of the brain as being completely hardware. You're thinking of it like like a hard disk, and in the same way the hard disk has the ones and zeros kind of etched into it, we have that in our brain somehow. Well, it's a completely different format, right? I mean, it's neurons and synapses and dendrites and all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, all of our memories, which is who we are, are what, I mean, we're essentially our memories. So we're, we're our, memory, we're our memories going backward, but the way we behave, I guess, are, is also represented in the way the structure of our brain. And if you could take a high resolution of photograph of that and then you could somehow figure out how to interpret that, than you could. And there's been some articles that I don't know if I've, I don't think I've brought them up in the show, but how like they can actually read your mind by um, like you could picture a chair and actually a picture of a chair picks up, shows up on a monitor. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've seen, I've seen that and how, how they did that. And they, it, it kind of involved pictures from the internet, right? So they, so they scanned millions of pictures from the internet and somehow mapped, mapped the, the, the way that the brain waves were kind of firing to those pictures. Yeah, so like there's some sort of standardized encoding mechanism in a brain for certain types of things. So, you know, of course it's kind of really rough and, and hacky at this point, but, you know, 10, 20 years, it might be, we might be much better at understanding what some neural structures actually represent. And I don't know. I mean, I... But we could be that. We could be that right now. That could have happened to the whole of humanity. <laughs> oh, about uh, the... The simulation. We're in a simulation. Ancestor simulation. Yeah. I want to do, I, I'd like to interview the guy. There's one guy who's like a philosopher, physicist or something out of, um, he's a mathematician, physicist or something out of uh, Cambridge. I would love to mm-hmm. kind of talk about ancestor simulation because he has like a really interesting logic argument about we're most likely in an ancestor simulation. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, you know, it's interesting. I guess for us, it doesn't matter if we are or we're not. We'll never know. So, um, Listen, what, uh, 
just wanted to, to quickly ask you a quick question, which is totally not related to this current discussion. So I'm I'm sending us on a different tangent. What are we doing for episode two hundred? Um, I don't know. I th- I don't know. I mean, I I think we might. Did you try and get him? Did you try and get what's his name? Elon. Elon Musk. No, I didn't even try. I mean, why not? I mean, if you don't try, you you never got in. You can't win. Can, yeah. Well, I guess I could send an email and ask him. I'll. Just just one email. Go on. But I think if we can't, assuming we can't get Elon Musk, I think our, our 200th, show, 200th show, it might be interesting to just have like, um, we could do a couple different things. One, we could talk about some of our most interesting things that we've discussed over the last three years or whatever it's been. Has it been two years, three years? How long has it been? Well, I think it's been at least, uh, well, well Plugio was born in October 2009. And uh, I think we had done a couple of months worth of episodes before then. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe we could get on like little snippets of interviews. We could do like little 10 minute interviews with a handful of past guests. Or or do we just kind of go through the whole backlog and put together the best moments? We could. I don't know. Yeah. That's, that sounds like a, what do you do on a 200 show, but I think that stuff will work. It sounds like a lot of effort though, doesn't it? <laughs> For me. <laughs> Going, going through that much audio and trying to work out what the best uh, moments were. Yeah, I totally think you should do it. <laughs> okay, I'll tell you what. If, if, if listeners send in like 20 you know, highlight points, I'll do it, but I don't think I'm actually going to go through and, and try and that, yeah, that's, search them out. That sounds crazy. So um, Another thing we could do is, is we could get the wives on for that episode. Yeah, but you think, I, I think that's going to be a fun show. I'm just wondering if that should be our 200th show. It's showing true respect to the ladies in our lives. I guess it is. I guess that would. Is it respect or is it just torturing them? <laughs> I don't know. No, how do you feel about it? Are we you know, feeling forced to do this? I don't know. So Phil um, asked me to do an online course with him. One of those uh, Coursera courses, like you'd ask. Oh, yeah. Called Quantum Mechanics and Quantum Computation. <laughs> nice. Okay. And unfortunately, I had to decline. I was like, because we, we, we were talking about that like the day before, I guess on the weekend, we we're having a little conversation about, you know, all these interesting courses that you can take now. And then he emails me the next day and he's like, he's like, yeah, it's great. Want to do, want to do this course with me? And I was just like, oh God, I want to do it so badly, but I don't have the time. This is good. This is good. This is a new Jason, a Jason that's actually saying no. I actually said no. It was amazing. I actually You've never done that before. Not usually. But I did. I cuz I I knew what would happen is that cuz I know how little time I have now and what I'd end up doing is just half-assing it and then not be able to finish it and it would just be a, just be kind of a not a waste of time, but it would just be a letdown for him. Now, talking about never being able to finish something, um any news on any food? I don't know. Why don't you tell me? What's, what's the- <laughs> well, no, but we're, we're, we're waiting for... Um... Let's do a big update next week. Okay. Well, we'll have okay. a big full update next week because we're getting to the end of the show and we'll, we'll do a big any food thing. Okay, cool. cool, cool. cool. Um, yeah, sure. So next thing I wanted to talk about, which was... Well, first of all, the, um, the courses... I was, I was looking at these courses online. I'll see if I can find a link to it. But this, it's, it's unbelievable how many they have available now. I mean, it's... Let me see if I can find the list. There's like... Coursera in particular has just like dozens and dozens of cool courses. I mean, yeah. what, what they got like, I mean, they even have stuff that's not like nerdy. I mean, you know, the kind of stuff we like, you know, they have machine learning and cryptography and 
networked life, model thinking. These are all things that I would be really interested in taking. Computer architecture. Yeah, those things look really cool. Yeah, cool. Um, but they even have things that, oh, like heterogeneous parallel programming. How about that? That looks cool. Probabilistic graphical models. But they even have things like, uh, you know, like vaccine trials, methods and best practices, or community change in public health. So it's kind of interesting. It's like, it's like growing out. Like they start with the tech stuff, right? Because those are the people who are going to be probably drawn to this first, yeah. the technorati. But it's getting out to like the non-technical stuff as well. And um, okay. I was thinking about this, like, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot, which is the possibility of replicating an undergraduate education by just taking online courses. And is it possible? I think it is. I think the right kind of people with the right kind of infrastructure, you could do it for sure. <laughs> and what, what reminded me of is just this guy, Scott Young. I think I'm going to invite him to talk, come on the show. And he has something called the MIT Challenge. So he... He came up with a list of uh, 33 courses that were, I think, it, I think it, most of them were listed as part of like an M- MIT undergraduate curriculum for computer science. Yeah. And I think a lot of the courses might be like the, um, the MIT open courseware. And he's actually completed, 20, completed 24 of 33 of the courses. Oh, wow. Yeah. He's given a talk. There was a TED talk about it which is really cool about how he was doing it. And, I mean, I think the guy, he seems pretty squared away. I mean, he's pretty focused and, and I mean, a pretty bright guy. But, um, but again, I mean, he's, he's young. He's only, like, 23. He's, he had an undergraduate degree in business. So it's not like, you know, he's a guy who's a Ph.D. in physics and is just going to go back and crank through this. So. But now if you do that stuff, I mean, do you have any – I mean, can you, for example, use it – in a job and say, yeah, I've got this under my belt. Not, I mean, do you get certificates? I mean, what do you get? Yeah, I mean, you get certificates of completion is essentially, I th- from what I understand is what you get from these courses. Well, at least if you take them from like Coursera or Udacity. Um, and I, you, I, I saw an interview with Sebastian Thrun from Udacity, and he was talking about how they signed some, some deal with like, I don't know, fourth, with these testing centers. There's like 4,000 locations or something like that, or multiple testing centers. So you can go in and take like an actual test to prove that you've mastered the material. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how that works with Coursera. I don't know how they grade your work or grade your tests, but they say you get a, a, a certificate of, of completion. It, oh, go on, what were you going to say? What I was going to say is because like, there's a lot of jobs. I mean, say, for example, you're going to work for Google or Microsoft or something. Like you just can't get through the door without an official university qualification. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. I think that's going to change in the, short, in, the, in the near term. I think... Just knowing how Uber works, if you walked in there and said, I spent a year and I did the entire curriculum, uh, online curriculum for computer science, and said, you know, go ahead and give me a test on it, you know, give me some problems, they would be really impressed. <laughs> I mean, they would be more impressed than if, like, oh, I went to, you know, Stanford and, took it and, and went through the program. If you did that on your own, you were that motivated and self-disciplined to push through it on your own, I would be way more impressed if someone did this than if they just go, I got an undergraduate degree in computer science. How much does it cost to do that then, now, to do all of those courses? Nothing. Free. Huh. Yeah. I mean, maybe buy the books. It might cost you a couple thousand dollars or something to buy the books. Wow. And, and of course, you could always, um, you know, and if you needed help, I mean, you could, uh, additional help, you could always hire tutors, you know, and uh, here and there. And maybe, maybe you say, okay, I'm going to allocate a few thousand dollars for, you know, uh, for tutors over a period of year or two to help me out when I get stuck on stuff. I mean, still be a fraction. Oh, one thing he said is he's, did this all, he's done this all in a year. 
It's amazing. So do you think you'll be able to get him on the show? I don't know. I'm going to send him an email. I think, do, you be worth, do you think he'd be worth bringing on? I think it'd be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to hear about it it's a bit in detail, but I don't know. Cause I'd been thinking about this, this idea of like, you know, with, with colleges, you know, becoming so astronomically expensive, it's like, well, at what point are you like, this is just ridiculous. I mean, you know, uh, you know, the courses are courses. I mean, you know, you, you know, this, the stuff that's online or in the books are the same thing. It's like, you know, when I look at my physics class or my math classes, I had no interaction with my professors. I mean, I mean, I guess I could theoretically have gone to office hours, but I didn't. I didn't know anybody who did. I mean, talk about software eating everyone's lunch. That's that like the, the edu- you know, how much money is there in education that software could, could basically take disrupt? Well, that's why there's so much interest in this now, because it's it, in one sense, it seems impossible to disrupt. Another way, it seems inevitable. Yeah. Kind of a paradox. You know, <laughs> it's impossible, but it seems inevitable. And, you know, because I think of like, you know, saving money for our kids' education. You know, so we, I have three kids. And like, what's, you know, what's it going to cost like $200,000 a kid? Am I going to have to have $600,000 saved up? Oh my God. College? I mean, that's insane. I mean, it's ridiculous. First of all, it's absolutely, there's, as Phil actually made a really good point on this. I, I, I told him to write a blog post, although I know he's not because he didn't have, a, he doesn't even have a blog. But he, <laughs> he says, the thing about education, it has a negative network effect. So, you know, like a network effect, they say like a, 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 like a web, you know, like a social network or something becomes more valuable the more people are part of it, like eBay. Yeah. Because more, the more people are on eBay, the more valuable it becomes, there's more liquidity, more, more buyers, more sellers. Facebook, the more your friends that are on it, the more value that it has to you. Well, the more people that have an undergraduate education, the less valuable it is because like everybody has an undergrad. It's like, you know, wow, you have a high school, you know, you've graduated from high school. It's like, whoop de do. <laughs> yeah that's a, that's a good observation or if i go to college you know it's like as, as, as soon as everybody does it it's like well there's okay there's two things there's one it has a negative networking effect in the sense there's less demand for those people because there's such a, a huge supply it's simple supply demand yeah but you can't even get through the door unless you've got it you know so it has it has a positive effect in that sense like you have to have this so everybody has to have it but it in some sense it doesn't differentiate from anyone it just means you're behind everybody else but, in the, but at the same time, the, so because it's less valuable in the marketplace. You're not being compensated for having it. It's not like high school. It's like everybody goes to high school and it's free. It's like you're paying hundred or $200,000 for this degree that just makes you equal to everybody else because everybody has a degree from some. Yeah, it just puts you at zero. You, you're, at, you're at a state of zero with 200 grand's worth of debt. Right. And, and, and most people come out of school with a degree. They don't remember most of what they learned, you know? They, they, they cram for tests and they learn a little bit and then they forget most of it. And it's just sort of like, you know, I went to some, I went to some played intramural basketball or Frisbee and I joined a, for, uh, a fraternity or sorority and I went to some study breaks and uh, yeah, it was fun. <laughs> right. And then, and then, you know, there were some papers I wrote the night before and some midterms I crammed for. And I don't know, man. I mean, it just seems for when you're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars and very little marginal advantage of having that over somebody who who doesn't have it it's just it's it's just ripe for disrupt yeah i mean well not only that like actual kind of real experience of dealing with real issues is more valuable than that education like if you've got real experience in working at this thing 
it's going to be better than someone who doesn't have any experience and just comes in with a degree. Well, okay, I don't know. You're, you're kind of, I think you're talking about apples and oranges. I mean, so you're talking about experience. Of course, you need to have experience too. I mean, obviously that's valuable. But if you don't, like you can't be a practicing physicist or a neuroscientist if you don't have an education. Okay, but let's say, let's say you've been, let's, get, let's use me as an example, right? I've been building websites for 20 years mm-hmm. versus some new kid who's just come out of university. We're both going for, uh, I guess, a web development role. Which one do you pick? I guess you probably pick the younger kid because they're going to be cheaper. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? You're going to... What do you think? Yeah, well, obviously, you're going to pick you because you're an expert at doing web development. But, um, you know, and you're going to pay some kid who hasn't built it. They're going to, take a, they're going to make every mistake in the book because that's what you do when you don't have any experience learn by making mistakes and you take forever you won't pay much but you won't get much um right i mean anyway i'm I'm not talking i mean you know there's nothing there's no replacing experience i mean experience and and eventually everyone gets it but i'm just trying to feel like how do you Uh, but, but 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 what i'm saying is is that that time that you took to do your degree those four years that you took if you'd have taken if you'd have said right no i'm not going to do that i'm going to spend four years working at this rather than doing a degree for it yeah then at the end of the four years, who's in a better position? Well, there's very, very few things that you can just learn by doing that you don't need some base education. It turns out like web development, you don't, you know, but most things you do. So yeah, sure, web development is a special case where you don't need to go to college to learn Python or PHP or Ruby. But even biohacking that you're really into at the moment, like you've discovered that you don't need to go to college for that? Yeah, okay. You know, that's, you know, like I said, it's like, to do basic biohacking stuff, I think that you could do it without having a master's degree in, say, molecular biology. But there's a lot of background, you know, knowledge for it. I mean, it's like, could you learn? I mean, a lot of these things that you could learn how to do portions of it by just just learning the minimum amount of knowledge. But I still think you, you you're going to have you're, there's still a lot of education involved one way or another. There's a lot of information that has to be absorbed. Right. Okay. So that information comes from books or some kind of educational way. It doesn't necessarily have to be a degree, but it's doing some kind of online course or something. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there are certain things that you can learn by doing and that's, there'll always be that case, but they're, they're kind of in the minority and, and there's always a lot of stuff in the real world that you can only do by learning because education just doesn't really prepare you for it. It's because it's too special. It's too specific to be worth making into a course that everybody learns, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but so yeah, I'm just what I'm more interested in though is like the things that you would traditionally have to pay huge sums of money for. I mean, like, I don't know what the uh, inflation rate has been? Uh, not the inflation rate, but just sort of the 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 rise in price of college versus like uh, you know the inflation rates for the last thirty or forty years. If you say like since 1970 to now, mm-hmm. astronomical. And uh, so I don't know. I'm really interested in this, and I think that. What this guy, Scott Young, is doing is something that, you know, he's not a super genius. He's a bright kid. He's working hard, and he's making it happen. But I think if you had the right support system in place and the right kind of structure and kind of like really showed you how to do it, um, you, you could do it. I mean, just like you can get a whole – just because you can – just like how through um, 23,000 people completed that Udacity artificial intelligence course, mm-hmm. I think you could – Still, just like that, you could because they were kind of supported along the way. People 
there were forums and and people they would grade your I guess they would grade quizzes and homeworks or something like that. I guess there was a certain amount of you know um, support in that way. Well, you could do the same thing for an entire degree. Say, okay, this is our online you know computer science degree, or our online physics degree, and you know these are the courses, and you start here, and and you know these are the 5,000 people were starting at the same time and they put you into like groups of like 10 people who were like ad hoc study groups who people were living in your time zone and you know, whatever. I mean, you could do that stuff, right? Well, that's what Audacity is aiming for. Well, they are, but they're not there yet. But I mean, but mm-hmm. people are saying that that's not possible right now. They're, they're poo-pooing it. They're saying, ah, it's just crap. You, you need all, you really actually need all these things that a university give, gives you. But, mm. you know, I think at a certain point when, Someone says, well, university costs, an uh, undergraduate degree costs a million dollars. People are going to be like, that's, I'm not paying it. <laughs> yeah. <No. laughs> now I'm going to do my, do my Audacity course for a hundred bucks. <laughs> I mean, if it's like, oh, well, 30, you know, would, is, could you pay $30,000 or, you know, pay, would you rather take a loan out for 30 or $40,000 and pay that back and just go to a university and just kind of experience the whole thing? Cause it's, it's kind of a fun, it's as fun as it is much learning. Yeah, exactly. The, the whole kind of, um, What's the word? Uh, oh, why, why is that word not coming to my head? Where you get a group of people together, the, the whole social experience. Yeah, well, it's, it's really like, you know, it's like, it's like being an adult on training wheels, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, you're kind of away from home, but yet you, you're living in a dorm and you have like a resident, you have your R, resident assistant and your, you know, assistant, you, you know, you, you have like the people who live on the floor, like the, they'll be like a, I don't know, you'd have like a graduate student, who live on your floor? I forget what they call them. You're a resident assistant, and I can't remember. But you you have all of the supporting, the social support in a university, especially your freshman or sophomore year. Usually, when they make you live on in a dorm, and mm-hmm. but you know it's not like you're out living in a city by yourself. So it kind of is like you know uh, being an adult on training wheels. So just taking a course though, like this, that's the one thing about it is that you would be probably either living at home, which would kind of suck. Right, because usually by the time you're 18, you're like ready, itching to get out of your parents' house, have a little more freedom. Yeah. But, you know, or at least have your own space. Or you have to go and you just get an apartment somewhere with some people, which, which is probably what would be most likely. But it would still cost some amount of money, right? Because if you're not working and, you're playing and you have like a cheap apartment, you're, it still costs money to live. Yeah, well, that's fine. So, but it's still a lot less for your parents, you know? Like, Absolutely. It doesn't doesn't cost that much for rent and then if you were just paying small tuition fees for these online courses yeah. i think it's good well you it could be good get through it in like a year or two right yeah you know it's like james altucher was talking about that he, he was just he wouldn't pay for college but he was going to give his kids like a hundred thousand dollars or something like that to start a business or something <laughs> nice i would say like i would be like i'll you know you could either go to college and come up with, and I'll pay for, you know, some percentage of it and the rest you have to take out loans or I'll, I'll, you know, I will pay for your living expenses and give you X amount of money, complete the, the certain amount of degrees or something like that. It's your choice. And you, you don't come out of debt. And then of course you have more personal money. Maybe. No, I love the, I love the James Altucher idea of investing in your kids. I mean, what could be more bootstrappy than that? I'm going to bootstrap via my kids. Yeah, the only thing is, though, I don't think most 18-year-olds are ready to start a business, you know? Yeah. And then business just fails after, like, six months or a year, and then what? Now, how many months? But it also, it's not a very well-rounded education, is it? Because a lot of the things that you need to learn are things like how to deal with moral dilemmas and things like that. You know, just all sorts of strange and interesting stuff that you learn through um, the university, which you're probably not going to learn in a business. Well, yeah, I mean, you, literature and history and sociology yeah, exactly. and everything else. But, I mean, most things... 
aren't business. Most of this learning is about, you know, a lot of these educations are sort of liberal educations, right? Liberal arts. So it's about learning about, it's, it's reading about, you know, it's reading Plato and Socrates and Descartes and Kant and all that kind of stuff and understanding, having some understanding of that stuff as opposed to just not. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I don't know. So, um, thing I want to say when we'll call it a, call it a show. Sure. Yeah. It's been a good, it's been, it's been all over the place. <laughs> it's been a good show. So well, far. Uh, you know, I told you I bought a bunch of this electronic circuits stuff to kind of, well, I even saw them when I was like, when I was around the other day. Yeah. A lot of stuff in it. A lot of, it, <clears throat> what are they, what are they called? Breadboards? Breadboard. And I had a breadboard, lots of, you know, and all the components of transistors and capacitors and resistors and stuff. And so, mm-hmm. Sandy, when I first told her I was doing and I was going to order it, she kind of had this frown on her face. I'm like, well, what? I'm like, well, you don't think it's a good idea? She's like, well, I don't think he's going to really be interested. He'll, he's going to be interested in for about once or twice, two times, and then he's going to be done. Mm-hmm. And what hap- what's happened, though, is he keeps talking to me. He's like, Dad, can we do some electronics? Dad, Dad. I was like, <laughs> lying on the bed reading last night, waiting for the kids to finish their dinner. Sandy was, I was kind of crashed out, just kind of relaxing. And he, Colby, when he finishes, he finishes eating, he comes and goes flying to the bedroom, basically tackles me. He's like, dad, can we do electronics now? <laughs> so, he loves to build stuff, that kid. Yeah, yeah, he does. He does. I mean, it's like, you don't really have to ask him twice. Like, if you want to build something, I mean, he's all over it. I mean, you actually you don't have to ask him. You, can, you can't stop him. But I just thought that was funny um, how, like, you just you just kind of like for certain for kids you, you sometimes you just kind of find what their thing is and then you just like you just open a door and they just go blowing through it you know <laughs> so it's interesting it's getting better though I mean we're, we're we although I need to do a little more learning myself so I can teach him because I don't know stuff as nearly as well as I should like well, what have you built so far oh we built like a series of just kind of like different circuits where diodes light up LEDs kind of flash on and off and it's capacity, you know, different combinations of capacitors and resistors, but like he's, he actually can look at a schematic with transistors, capacitors and resistors and switches and batteries and, and build it on the breadboard, <laughs> which it's not a one-to-one thing, right? It's like, it's like one's a logical one sort of a physical layout. They're, they're different. And so understanding how the breadboard works and how, how everything. So that's pretty good for seven. And yeah, and I for seven. Are you kidding me? That's amazing. Yeah, and I because like last, and we we haven't done it that much. I mean, I, I I really would like to spend some more time on it, but I've just been so busy. But he um and he was he had football camp the last couple of weeks, so he was kind of either football camp or he was totally crashed out at home because after three hours in the sun, he just was like toast. But um, so but last night we were doing it, and I was like, okay, Colby, we need a certain amount of resistance based on the current that this LED can support i mean what's the resistance of that resistor you're holding and he could look at it and go well it's these two color bands give us these digits and this is the multiplier and so he could you know with me kind of leading him a little bit he could actually calculate the the resistance in ohms which i thought was pretty cool that's very cool so we're getting there we're getting there it's it's gonna be interesting see uh see how far we can get over the next year so um as, as i as i mentioned before i think i i i haven't I haven't talked to anyone at the school yet, but I want to see if I can get that sort of after school um, sort of like STEM program going mm-hmm. like once a week for like an hour and a half. We do like mind storms or electronics or, you know, program Python programming or something like that. And uh, cause I think what will happen is if I, if I get that, if I get a structure like that set up, then it's like something that I just do 
every day, every Tuesday from four to four thirty to six or something. You know, as opposed yeah. to find a time. Because the thing is, when you do stuff with your kid, it's like you keep thinking, "Oh yeah, this weekend we'll do some of that," and then all of a sudden the weekend goes by, and you're like, "Yeah, we didn't do any of it." Like, what happened to the time? Mm-hmm. And uh, when you when you set things up, you make things sort of like a have a structure, and you have other people involved. It just sort of forces you to always do it at a certain time and you know make progress so that's what i'm building towards i'm gonna see if we can i need to i need to get in touch with somebody at school and actually you just reminded me like i will i will talk about the next show because we need to wrap this one up but um your uh what what do you call it institute your educational institute yeah yeah, the 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 sort of stem we need an update on that we need an update on any food we need an update on a few different things epic night all this kind of stuff but let's save it till um save that till the next show absolutely all right man i guess that's a wrap we're out